Well, good morning, Chapel Hill. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ellis White. I'm a pastoral intern here at the church. And four weeks ago, I had the real privilege of leading a team of six from Chapel Hill down to what was the, the largest sustained outreach at the largest campus of the largest school in the United States. That's Arizona State University. We were working together with 18 different campus ministries and and local churches. We were um, putting on a a series of events, daring students at that campus to ask their fearless questions about life, about faith, and about God. Over the uh, course of the week, we spent a lot of time on the campus itself, trying to interact with students, engage them, daring them to ask their questions and inviting them to some of the events that we were putting on. Every lunchtime, we'd have free lunch. There would be two talks asking those fearless questions like, what happens when we die, or how can God allow all this evil and suffering? And then every evening, we'd have another talk, same fearless questions that that we were asking again and again. Every talk would finish with a time of Q&A, where you could ask any question you wanted, and there would be discussion around the tables, and every student who indicated interest was taken out for coffee over the following weeks by a Christian student on the campus or by a campus ministry worker. And over the course of the week that we were there, we saw 15 people in those one-to-one conversations make decisions to follow Jesus for the first time, and and we saw 30 people check a box on a response card to say, yeah, I prayed that prayer at the end of the talk. I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. We're going to be reporting a little bit more uh, next month, Sunday, May 22nd, over lunch, if you want to join us for that. But my favorite story, just to to share one quick one with you from, from the whole week, happened on the very first night that we were there. We were uh, still, uh, the event hadn't quite begun yet. A few of us were standing outside trying to encourage some people to come in, handing out some flyers. And along walked a, a local pastor, and he had this, this bag with him. And in this bag, he said, in there is two boxes of chicken tenders. And we were like, for us? He was like, no, give them away, okay? Give them, give them to the students. So uh, Eric England, who was a member of our team, he just... Went straight at it. He grabbed a box of chicken tenders, beeline for the first student that he saw, who was this cool kind of surfer-looking dude. Um, his name was Tom, and, uh, and he said, Tom, I got a deal for you. Free box of chicken tenders. No strings attached. And Tom was kind of a little bit taken aback. He was like, what? what? Why? He was like, seriously, free box of chicken tenders. No strings attached. So he said, well, why, why are you doing this? And he said, well, well, the chicken tenders are no strings attached. But if you want to take them, and you want to come in upstairs, and you want to listen to a two-time Super Bowl winner by the name of Jason Elam talk about how his faith changed his career, then you'd also be welcome to come and do that. So Tom made the decision. He made the decision to come in. I told him, if they ask you at the door, why have you got a box of chicken tenders? Tell them that Ellis sent you. And, um, and so he did. Uh, he came in. He sat down. He listened to Jason Elam talk about his faith, Jason Meehan, was a Denver Broncos kicker. And at the end of the talk, Eric caught up with him along with another team member. And they sat and they chatted with Tom. And, and Tom just began to share about how he was really struggling with his, his sense of uh, purpose and identity. He'd just given up playing sport at a high level. And he was really wondering, what, what is my life about? 
And Eric was able to point back to Jason's talk and say, hey, look, Jason said, if you have your identity in Christ, if, it's, if your identity is secure in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you get dropped or whether you get cut or whether you get injured or, or whatever it is. Because your identity, who you are, remains the same. And then about an hour later, Eric had the privilege of leading Tom in a prayer to commit his life to Jesus for the first time. Awesome. Yeah. And all that from a box of chicken tenders. So this year we've been, we've been journeying through the story. The story is an abridged chronological version of the Bible. And last week our senior pastor, Mark Toon, told us all about the amazing nature of Jesus' early ministry. He showed us how in one chapter of Mark's gospel, Jesus teaches, heals, and casts out demons in a way that just truly causes us to go, wow. Now I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus' disciples his followers. Just for a second, imagine you've been traveling around with Jesus. You've been seeing him do these amazing works of healing and deliverance. You're astounded. You're blown away. You can't believe the power that you're seeing in front of your very eyes. And now imagine this. Jesus turns around to you and he says, okay, now you try. How would you feel? A little scared, a little overwhelmed, intimidated, perhaps, because that's exactly what Jesus does. And we're going to read about that this morning in this next chapter of the story. So grab your Bibles if you can and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Grab your phones if you want to look at it on your phone. If you don't have a Bible or a phone, it's going to be on the screens. We're in Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start right at the beginning in verse 1. And we'll, we'll read together this passage. Matthew chapter 10. And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold nor silver nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, Let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Let's let's pray together.
Jesus, I ask that this morning you would send your spirit in this place, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that we may hear and understand what it is that you want to say to us. God, I pray that, that you would use me, that you would speak through me, that it would be your words, not my words, and that, God, you would help us to understand what you want to do in us as a people this morning and how you want to see your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I took down to Arizona State on this, on this team of six. I took two high schoolers with me. One was called Eric Anderson and the other was Drew Spitzer. You, you, you might know them. And I knew I was kind of taking a big risk bringing high school students down to share about Jesus with college students. But I knew I wasn't as nervous as they were. I mean, they, they were thinking, I'm coming down here to Arizona. I'm going to be working alongside trained evangelists and apologists from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, RZIM. And, and I'm supposed to be sharing with people who, who are up to uh, 25, 20, 26 years of age in some cases. And, and I'm 17. Now, I knew that they were intimidated by this. I knew that it was a daunting prospect. And yet, Jesus does something remarkably similar right here with his disciples. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how old the twelve were, but we only know that one of them was married, Peter. We hear about Peter's mother-in-law. Now, typically, in in first century Jewish culture, men got married at the age of 18. So in all likelihood, these twelve disciples were about the same age as our high school students. And more than this, at this point in the story, they've probably only been with Jesus a matter of months, if not weeks. And yet Jesus turns around and he says, okay, now you go and do it. Can you you imagine how they felt? You know, it's one thing to to watch a lame man being healed. I mean, that's, that's incredible. But it's another thing to stretch out your hand and say, be healed in Jesus' name. Can you imagine how they felt? That's what Jesus sent them out to do in his authority. So Jesus sends his baby-faced disciples out on a mission. And I want us to see what we can learn today from Jesus' instructions to these disciples. And I think that there are, there are three things that we can learn, three instructions that Jesus gives that, that, that we can learn from. The first is that he sends them to a specific people. The second is that he gives them specific tasks. And the third is that he gives them a specific method to carry out the things that he's asking them to do. So we're going to look at each one of those three things in turn, see see what we can learn from these instructions. So first, Jesus sends them to a specific people, the people of Israel. Now, verse, verse 5 says, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, in our 21st century culture, that might strike us as a tad closed-minded, perhaps a little bit bigoted, that Jesus would only send them to one group of people. Yet the reality is that when we say yes to one thing, we say no to something else. Now, we only have finite resources, and this was a short-term mission that the disciples were going on. They could only cover so much ground. And therefore, Jesus says to them, go to the people of Israel. And it's interesting, he, he calls these people of Israel, supposedly God's people, he calls them lost sheep. But more interesting than that, 
They were the disciples' own people. They were the people that they were a part of. It was their nation, their people, the people they understood. I wonder how many of us see Jesus' call to, to go and proclaim the good news as something that needs to be done overseas or at least as far away as Arizona. For many of us, we, we think that missionaries are people who are sent to Africa or, or East Asia. You know, when my wife Rachel and I first came to the U.S., we were on missionary visas. And I know this was a little bit of a paradigm shift for many of you here at Chapel Hill. I mean, missionaries to Gig Harbor? Seriously? And yet the truth is that every single one of us that follows Jesus is a missionary. Every single one of you who follows Jesus in this room is a missionary to Gig Harbor. If you follow Jesus, you have been sent by him to tell people and show people right here on this peninsula that there is a kingdom beyond this world that can change their lives. So Jesus sends his disciples to a specific people, but he also sends them with specific tasks. Verse 7 says this, Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Jesus says that the disciples' mission is to be in both word and deed. He tells them to proclaim that God's kingdom is coming. That the place where where God reigns is is about to break in. The place where there is healing, where there is redemption, where there is restoration, where there is wholeness, is right around the corner. It's right at hand, ready to break in. And he tells them to demonstrate that this kingdom is breaking in in this very moment. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. He tells them, stretch out your hand to those lost people, those lost sheep. Pray, pray that God's kingdom, pray that my kingdom would break in, in my name, and that they might experience it. One thing I note that he doesn't tell them to do at this point is that he doesn't tell them to go and teach. He saves that for later, at the very end of his ministry, when he gives his disciples what we call the Great Commission. It's almost as if Jesus is saying by by not including this teaching here, that it doesn't matter what stage of following me you are at, whether you've only just begun or whether you've been following me for years, every single person who follows me has my authority to tell people that the kingdom of God is about to break in and has my authority to demonstrate that reality in their lives through the power of prayer in the name of Jesus. You know, you don't need a seminary degree to do this. You don't need a one-year certificate in evangelism and apologetics from the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. You don't need to take a class in order to do this. Why? Because you have, as Jesus' followers, his authority. That's what verse 1 says. It says, Jesus gave the twelve his authority. He gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal every disease and every affliction. And we have that same authority by the power of Jesus' Holy Spirit living within us. It's that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives 
within us. We were just singing about it. That same spirit, that same power heals today. And that same power is in each and every single one of us who follows Jesus. And as Jesus' followers, he's given us that authority, that power, and that is all that we need to tell and to demonstrate the reality of his kingdom breaking into this world. So what might that look like? What might it look like for us to tell and to demonstrate God's kingdom breaking into this world? Well, I don't know if you've ever had a friend or a co-worker family member, neighbor, share with you that, that they, were, they were sick or ill or, or maybe that they were really struggling with something or, or they were concerned about someone in their, in their life. Have you, have you ever had that happen to you? Well, I have. I wonder, have you ever asked them if you could pray for them right now about that? Now, that's a, that's a daunting prospect. Don't, don't get me wrong. Okay, it it scares me to no end every time I step out and do this. Well, maybe you could take it a a step further. Don't wait for them to tell you how they're doing. Just step out and say, hey, I would love to pray for you. How can I pray for you? And even if they say, you know, actually, I don't really need prayer right now. Can I pray a blessing over you? You know, that is all Jesus was telling his disciples to do. He told them to go find lost people. Tell them there's a better way, that there is a kingdom that that wants to break into their lives and that through prayer they can experience it and then to pray for them. I mean, can you imagine what it would look like if every single Jesus follower in this room this week committed to ask one person, can I pray for you about that right now? And then prayed for them and followed up by asking them how it went. Now, can you imagine the impact that might have on this community? Can you imagine the ways that we would see God's kingdom breaking in? Can you imagine the stories that we would have to tell? This is what Jesus was sending his disciples out with the authority to do. He wasn't sending them out to teach. He wasn't sending them out with a five-point gospel presentation based upon the book of Romans. He sent them out to pray for people that they might see the kingdom of heaven breaking into the midst of their lives, into their hurts, into their pains, into their sickness, that they might see that there is power in the name of Jesus, power to heal, power to restore, and power to redeem. That's what Jesus was sending his disciples out to do. So he sent them to a specific people. He gave them specific tasks. And thirdly, He gave them specific methods, specific ways to carry out those tasks. He he told them two things. One was don't take extra supplies for your journey. Don't weigh yourself down with extra baggage, but trust that God will provide. And he told them to find people of peace, as the similar passage in Luke 10 puts it. People who welcomed them, who invited them into their homes, who were open to conversation, who served them. Don't take extra supplies. You know, I think often we we tell ourselves, I'm just not prepared enough to do this. I'm just not prepared enough to tell someone about Jesus. I I need to know more. I need need to do some more reading. I need to watch that YouTube video. I, I, I need to go to a class. But just like Jesus told his disciples not to take any extra supplies, so often 
that training, that reading can just be extra baggage to lug around that doesn't end up being useful. Now, I'm not saying that preparation isn't important. I'm not saying that training isn't important. But I am saying that it is not necessary for the mission that Jesus sent his disciples out to do. And it's not necessary for us to carry out that same mission. There's no seminary degree needed to say to a friend, can I pray for you about this right now? No seminary degree needed for that. All you need is the authority that Jesus has given you as his follower. The five Chapel Hill members who came with me down to Arizona felt unprepared. How do I know? Well, because they told me. Oftentimes with this kind of like save me look in their eyes. But what I kept reminding them was that no matter how well or how, uh, how much or how little training they have, every single one of us has the same Holy Spirit in us. No matter if you've been following Jesus for years or if you've only just started following Jesus, we all have the same Holy Spirit. And the reality is that when you get a whole bunch of training and teaching, it can be really tempting to rely upon your own abilities rather than rely upon the one who has power, the Holy Spirit within us. That was what Jesus was teaching his disciples here. Don't, don't rely upon your supplies, but upon God's provision in any and every moment. The other thing he told them to do, the other specific method, was to find people of peace. People who, who welcomed them, who were open to conversation and, and served them. Now, don't get me wrong. First century Israel was a very different culture from Gig Harbor today. When a newcomer showed up in town, it was expected that someone would take them into their home, that they would feed them, and that they would give them a bed for the night. It's not quite the same today. But I think we can understand Jesus' people of peace concept as it relates to our lives. We all know people, whether they're friends or colleagues, neighbors or family members, we, we all know people who, when it comes to spiritual matters, don't just shut the conversation down. Okay? We, we all know people who are peaceful when it comes to mentioning church or faith. Jesus says, stick with those people. Jesus says, find those people and strengthen those relationships. I think of a particular friend of mine in Oxford called Tom. He lived next door to me, and he was really open to talking about the deeper things of life, like where's your security, where's your identity, what, what are you placing your, your hope in? Several times he, he even let me pray for him. But Tom was totally different to his best friend, John. Okay, John just shut down any conversation about faith, changed the subject instantly. Tom was a person of peace. John wasn't. I stuck with Tom. I spent time with him. I offered to pray for him. I didn't with John. Not because I didn't want the same things for John, but because the conversation wouldn't go anywhere. I was still friends with John, but I didn't devote the same time and energy to John as I devoted to Tom. Who are your people of peace? Who are those people in your life? Stick with them. Deepen relationship with them. Invite them out for a coffee. Invite them over for dinner. 
So we see Jesus sending his very young disciples on a mission. He sends them out to a specific people, the people of Israel, the people, their own people, the people they knew. Sends them with specific tasks to tell these people there's a better way and that they can experience it right now through prayer in the name of Jesus. And he gives them a specific method. Don't get weighed down by supplies. Trust me for provision and find people of peace and stick with them. And I believe all those same things apply to those of us in this room who follow Jesus today. That we have been sent to the people around us. That we've been sent to tell them that there is a better way. And that they can experience that through prayer right now. And that we've been sent not to rely upon our training, but to rely upon God's spirit within us. And we've been sent to find people of peace. But none of this gets at the reason why. Why did Jesus send his disciples out? Why did, why did Jesus even come to earth in the first place? Well, seven weeks ago, my father passed away unexpectedly, aged 59. He left for work one morning and didn't come back. He suffered a sudden cardiac arrest after taking a walk with a work colleague. The last few weeks have been incredibly hard for me. They've also been incredibly important. When I was down in Arizona, one of the RZIM staff persons, Madeline, she said to me, I can't believe you're here so soon after what just happened. And in many ways, it, it was a little crazy to lead a trip down to ASU, and it certainly pushed me to my visceral limits. But... My response to Madeline was this. There's no place I'd rather be. Friends, life is fragile. Our days are numbered. And there are people out there who don't yet know the reality of God's kingdom breaking into their lives. Jesus has called us and he has sent us to tell and to show the world that the kingdom of heaven is ready to break into their lives. But all of our days are numbered. That work colleague, that friend, that neighbor, that family member may not be here tomorrow. You may not be here tomorrow. If you follow Jesus, he has sent you to those people. And if you don't follow Jesus, he longs for his kingdom to break into your life, to change you. And then he longs to send you out to those same people. And as long as I am breathing, I live to tell people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that they can experience it right now in their lives through the power of prayer in the name of Jesus. Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, sorry that, that we have doubted at times your power within us, the power of your spirit living within us. Sorry that we have doubted your ability to, to break into this world with your kingdom at any and every moment. 
God, thank you that you have called us, that you have set us apart, that you've called us to follow Jesus, and that your kingdom has broken into our lives, that we have been changed, we have been transformed. And thank you, God, that that you've given us a purpose, that you have sent us, that you have sent us to a lost, dying, and hurting world with the good news that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that it is ready to break into their lives right now. God, please give us your courage. Fill us with your spirit that we may step out boldly this week. That we may step out, God, and say to to just one person, can I pray for you about that right now? God, give us that boldness in the power of your spirit that we may see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.